Hey listeners, Dennis Wisco here. In times of an economic crisis, I hope the one thing that I can offer to you right now are for those of you who do have some sort of outstanding debt, be it a mortgage, an auto loan, a personal loan, or maybe it's your kids, and maybe they have a student loan, and maybe they're responsible for paying their student loan back. During an economic crisis, the one thing that does get affected, if not managed properly, is your credit. On today's episode, I feature Rod Griffin, who is the Senior Director of Education and Consumer Advocacy for Experian, and he is a wealth of knowledge and experience when it comes to knowing how to manage your credit and how your credit can be used as a tool against the problem of debt. So this will hopefully be a nice informational session for you to listen to Rod and myself. Also, I want to share with you some of the good things that have been going on in my life, at least over the last three weeks, and that is food. I'm definitely a foodie. I'm a binge eater. When I have problems, I like to eat. And it makes it easy because over the last three months, I have been getting a subscription from Wild Alaskan Company where they deliver in a box a variety of salmon and whitefish comes straight from Alaska, comes to you every 30 days, and I wanted to wait to say anything, and this is not a paid advertisement either. It's just I think they have really good fish, and certainly for those of you who fear going out and do not want to take on any germs and possibly could be affected with COVID-19, if you would like a box of fish from Alaska delivered to your house, and might I recommend you also disinfect the box, that's at least what I do, If you want a box of fish delivered to your house and you want to save a little bit on that box, I want to offer you a $25 off your first order of your first box from Wild Alaskan Company. You can go to their website and check out what they have. Or actually, even better yet, go to wiscoweeklypod.com slash wildalaskan and you can claim a $25 off coupon towards your first order from Wild Alaskan Company. Again, go to wiscoweeklypod.com slash wild alaskan this is not a paid advertisement for them this is just because i think they do some good work i'm enjoying eating their fish i've been enjoying it for the last three months and now i want to offer to you if it'll help you if you will enjoy this you get 25 dollars off your first order with wild alaskan company again visit wiscoweeklypod.com slash wild alaskan now let's get into the episode Now tuned in to the Wisco Weekly Experience. Mabuhai, bienvenidos, willkommen, and welcome to Wisco Weekly listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I'm your host, Dennis Wisco, and you're tuned in to the Automotive and Mobility Podcast that focuses on the new business models for the mobility of people and goods. I have a great show for you today, especially especially in light of COVID-19 times. Before we get to the episode, before we get to the guest, uh, I do have just a couple announcements I do want to make. First off, I want to thank media partners for Wisco Weekly, Comotion Miami, and Automotive Mastermind. You can learn both. You can learn more about both of these companies if you visit wiscoweeklypod.com slash comotion and wiscoweeklypod.com slash mastermind. So thank you for your support of Wisco Weekly. Also, listeners, while I understand that the times are tough and the economy is tough and you might be losing your job right now and you're having to put off purchases, I do want to just stay ahead of the curve. And if, if and when, well, let's just say when you are ready to jump back into the market for a vehicle, a new car or a used car, please do look to visit our YouTube channel, I'm doing a new series called Marketplace. And in Marketplace, I will be highlighting some new car leases and specifically giving you an expectation of what a new car lease should be. And I'm also highlighting used car gems. So if you get the chance, visit Marketplace or visit Wisco Weekly on YouTube 
and look for all the marketplace episodes. If you do have a used car that you would like to send us for us to highlight, send us an email at marketplace at wiscoweeklypod.com and I'll put those, uh, the notes on the episode page. And if you're a first time listener of Wisco Weekly, thank you for tuning in. I hope you will stay a while with us. There's lots of things that are that we're doing uh, that's coming down the pipeline as we go through COVID-19 times. And we're gonna try to navigate you from a personal standpoint and helping you either save money and maybe educating you further in this automotive and mobility industry. Um, so welcome to all you first timers tuning in. Let's get to today's guest. My guest has been involved with his current employer, Experian, for 23 years. Yes, you heard that right. 23 years at the same company, so you can infer that this gentleman has a very, very good grasp about his job and his responsibilities and the culture of his organization. There are four core pillars that my guest is most expert on as a result of his experience at, at Experian. Public education, public relations, community involvement, and government affairs. In these areas, his responsibilities include complex project management, budget oversight, and crisis communication. How fitting, right? Good job to you, Dennis. Any Google search of my guest, you will see one thing, consistency. And that consistency is that he is a sought after subject matter expert when it comes to consumer credit management. Also to boot, he is extremely passionate about educating the public at large on areas of personal finance management. He's a proud Jayhawk from the University of Kansas, here to share insight into the crisis of credit. Men, women, and children, please welcome to the show the Senior Director of Consumer Advocacy or Consumer Education and Advocacy for Experian, Mr. Rod Griffin. Mr. Griffin, how are you, sir? Dennis, I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing probably as well to use Dave Ramsey's quotes, uh, you know, better than expected. Yeah, well, relative to the current situation. Relative yes. to the current situation, <laughs> un undoubted, undoubtedly. Uh, well, Rob, before we begin, actually, um, how can people follow you? Sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Rod underscore Griffin. You can see us, and I say us because I work with a fantastic group of people on social media uh, at hashtag credit chat. Uh, if you go to ex.pn slash credit chat, we have um, lots of resources there, and we're on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Facebook Live, uh, lots of places, so really easy to find me. And listeners, I'll put uh, the all this information on the episode page, uh, and speaking of which, we'll get to talking a little bit about credit chat, because I thought that was actually more, I found it to be more entertainment than education, but we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, so, Rod, you've done, you've done the whole media uh, tour You've spoken at so many different, you know, big outlets and, and even podcasts such as mine and, and others. You know, I think the one thing actually, before we even get started to, to, to more of the official questions here, I feel like nobody just asks you because you're, you're sought after as the expert that nobody just checks in with you to say, how are you doing? <laughs> so during these times, how are you doing? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm great. I mean, and it's, you know, in a strange way for me, this is you know, times like this when we can reach out and help people and work through a, a crisis with our you know, friends, our families, our communities, you know, and people in general is probably the most rewarding part of my job uh, because it's a time we get to help people who really need it right away and who are coming to us for information and knowledge and wanting to know what to do. So, you know, from that perspective, you know, right now with, with everything that's happening with COVID-19, it's a really hard time for everybody. My family's affected uh, just like everyone else. Uh, so, you know, in, in 23, seems impossible, two decades. Um, would never have guessed I'd have been with Experian that long when I started, but uh, this well, is the most know, time I've seen. 
I mean, so yeah, you touched upon you've been with Experian for 20 plus years now, which is rare to find these days. You started out in college graduating with a journalism degree, but again, for the last 20 years, you have really hunkered down with Experian, mastering the language, mastering the information of consumer credit. You know, give us an idea of how someone like yourself has been able to call Experian home for so long. Yeah, it's, um, you know, my background was as a newspaper reporter. Uh, and if anybody still remembers what a newspaper was or is with actual it, print. It, it ends with a dot com, right? Some, yeah, some yeah no, no dot coming in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, ink on paper, which was an interesting thing, but uh, went from there to a uh, municipal government communication role and actually was helping my stepdaughter search the one ads in one of those newspaper things and stumbled on this job at Experian. And, and I told my wife, I think I could do that. And she said, we'll send a resume. So I did. And here I am 23 years later. It was all about co communicating and educating, helping people understand what a company like Experian does and how it can benefit them and help them in their day-to-day, -day, especially financial lives, but uh, data life in general. And so, you know, over time it's changed, it's grown, uh, the, the industry has grown. So my personality is really about learning all the time and I'm still learning every single day because of the way things have evolved. Uh, there were, when I started with Experian, 7,000 employees in the U.S., uh, and that was the entire company. So, early more, like 5,000. Uh, the entire communications group was, uh, there was one person who ran PR, two people who did education, myself and my boss, and uh, like a dozen of us. Today, we operate in 40 countries, almost globally. Um, we have almost 18 to 20,000 employees around the globe completely different than it was 20 years ago. And it's always evolving and that makes it fascinating. It makes it exciting, um, makes it challenging. So all of those things, um, you make it a, a great place to be. When you look at especially the people I get to work with are some of the most brilliant people anywhere uh, in terms of uh, what we do in terms of data science, uh, in terms of the people I work with in, the, in our communications field. Uh, I work with absolutely fantastic people and that makes it extremely rewarding. Uh, so it's an easy place to work, to be proud of what we do. Uh, and when you see the impact we have on people's lives, um, it, I've been very fortunate. You, you, mentioned, you mentioned two words there that are just my absolute weakness. I mean, it's, it's, it's like if you were to show up at my door with some wine and a, and a nice pair of Oxford shoes, you said data science. I love, I love data science. I, I was never trained as a, an official statistician or anything of that nature, but over the last couple of years, especially, um, in in the realm of digital marketing, right? Uh, data science is a highly emphasized terminology concept. One of my favorite people to follow uh, with regards to data science and, and her knowledge and education is Cassie Kozarikoff. Do you know that name? Name rings a bell. Don't know her. She's, uh, she, she's uh, I, I think she's, I don't remember that her official title. She might be like the chief data scientist at Google, but uh, she I, she just has a phenomenal way of explaining data science and you know making it easy for someone with my monkey brain to understand. Um, so, data science, you're speaking my language, sir. So, thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, I have a journalism degree. I don't do math, so they they have to do well, and that's a big part of my job. Is how do we explain what we do? so that people like me can understand, you know, and that, that's what makes it fun. Well, so with 20 years with Experian, you saw kind of the aftermath of the dot-com burst, and, and even though that happened more in the 90s, in the late 90s, right, again, you still had an economy that we're still trying to recover in the early 2000s, and, and, and specific individuals trying to recover from this. You've also went through the 2008 financial crisis, and that was probably even a bigger doomsday. 
And again, having the recovery of businesses and individuals come out of that. And now we're here at the COVID-19 times. If we do look back though to 2008, can you, to, you know, share with me what are some of the similarities that you're seeing uh, that's still kind of mirror till this day? Yeah. Um, and a lot of what's happening now is really like a broken mirror. It's, it's not anything like what we saw in, in 2008. Mm. Uh, as we built up toward the, you know, the financial meltdown at that time, the, another old term, the water cooler talk, except we didn't have water coolers, <laughs> but as we talked to one another in our industry, there was a lot less understanding of credit scores and credit reporting and a lot less visibility. It was available, but people weren't as connected. Uh, and we were saying, if we continue to do the things we're doing, particularly around the mortgage market, we're making mortgage loans with credit scores in the high 500s, low 600s. What the data said is these loans will fail in large quantities. Uh, and in a sad way, that was proven true. Uh, we did see you know, large-scale default on mortgage loans and then couple that with the investment vehicles that they were being used to to support uh, and you know a market crash and so a lot of that i think was around um you know poorly planned and executed business decisions uh, in terms of lending when we shouldn't be uh, and so you know that's a that was sort of what under, was in my view, underlying a lot of what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, today, a little bitty invisible bug is bringing down the economy and businesses are trying to adapt to protect people. Uh, and so it's really not a matter of um, economic impropriety you know, and, and poor decision-making. It's a matter of a crisis that's caused us to take drastic action. So today, I think we're all in this together. And as businesses we're all, and consumers, we're all trying to figure out how do we respond to this to make sure that first and foremost, people are protected and that our, our health and well-being is protected, while at the same time, making sure our businesses continue to function. And how do we come out of this in a... Um, successful way in how sure. we rebound uh, in the 2008 in the recession you know that was that was something that we had to climb out of uh, and learn from the mistakes that were made I think this is going to be a matter of you know, working together and I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll turn things around much faster in, in this instance well I, I uh, certainly the delineation between the economy crashing back 12 years ago and more as a result of bad business decisions versus now where there was no business decision made that crashed the economy. That is definitely a clear delineation between the crisis now versus then. I would still say that maybe the the fallout of all of this may be somewhat similar. And, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would, you know, I can recall back in the day, and look, uh, I'll be honest with you too, Rod. The, after the 2008 financial crisis, I was definitely affected by that. You mm -hmm. know, I, I certainly had a business at that time. It, it was in the, in the space of employment. So obviously that wasn't going to last. So that business did not do well. Then all of a sudden, once that business failed, then came the credit cards and the loans that had to be paid back and that certainly became challenging. And, you know, be it if it was missed payments, be it if it was uh, creditors or, 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 sorry, collection agencies coming after me, whatever the case, these were still the result of the financial crash. And I do wonder if that, I, I'm certain that will still happen. Collection agencies, even fraudulent activities happening where, again, a company out of thin air pop, pops up and comes across my information and then is all of a sudden calling me. It, it, do you see that happening? And, and 
Yeah, do you see that happening? Let's go with that question first. Yeah, well, I think, I think a couple of things are different today. I and mean, when we look at our state of credit survey uh, that we've done every year, um, you know, back in 2008, there was much greater indebtedness uh, across the, con the consumer marketplace. Uh, today, when we look at scores, they've been increasing. Uh, debt loads are at a much more manageable level based on this, the, the data we're seeing in the surveys we've taken generally as a consumer um, population uh, goes. So potentially less impact in that regard uh, and, and ability to recover. Okay. We're also in a better place in terms of how we respond to this crisis and having um, tools and resources in place to work with lenders as well as in our industry in terms of how we uh, can um, include accounts uh, work with lenders so that negative data isn't reported uh, you know, through forbearance or, or um, deferral so that people's histories are protected coming out of this. Um, in terms of things like fraud uh, and um, sort of the kinds of businesses that you see, I, that, let me take that back, not businesses, predators that arise in these Collection kinds. agencies. Yeah, um, not necessarily. So their collection agencies do play an important role in okay, okay, in in some in, in a the lot ba of the bad ones. Then at the least the bad ones. Okay, uh, and bad actors. I got a piece of email, not related to collections, but instead saying that they could refinance my mortgage loan through my bank, but the bank they listed isn't the bank I have a mortgage loan with. Uh, so trying to take advantage of the you know. Fed rates decreasing, and hence, in theory, the you know our our loan rates potentially decreasing. Uh, so, should I refinance? Except that it wasn't with the bank I have my loan with. So, when you looked at that in the fine print, it said they're not affiliated with the bank, and so forth and so on. So, yes, and I think there are always going to be the sort of predatory people who will try to take advantage of this kind of situation and and prey on people's fears. And worries. Right, yeah. So we're ripe for that. Uh, and we need to make sure that we're taking steps to help prevent it uh, and help people make good decisions and recognize when, when those things are, um, they're trying to be preyed upon. Well, and I mean, then the, the question comes, how do people protect themselves? Yeah. Uh, knowledge and information. I mean, we talk about data and that's really what's important. You, you need to know, and have the knowledge to make the right decisions, know what to look for. Uh, I'm fortunate that I work in this industry and when we got that piece of mail, I knew what to look for. You know, this makes no sense. Uh, and that's why you know, I think my job is so rewarding is that we can share information. So know what's in your credit report. Don't be afraid of what's there. You know, I talk to people all the time and I make presentations at groups and, and I'll ask people, who's looked at their credit report this year? Who's got your free report? And their heads drop. They shake their head no, and <laughs> why not? It's because I don't want to know what's there. Wrong attitude. <laughs> so you should be desperate to know what's there, and you can get it for free, know what's in it. That's the most empowering thing you can do is have the information so that when you get something in the mail or email, more importantly, uh, or see something on social media, you know where you are and what the facts are for your financial life. And that's what's so crucial. You know, we're going to start a new hashtag for you called hashtag credit shaming. No, you should <laughs> not be ashamed. That's the, unless it works and gets people to look at their credit reports and, and engage. Well, exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, but, but to your point though, it, it's, it, you're, it, it's absolutely spot on to actually read through for instance, these, these letters that you would receive and, and like reading through would mean to the point of scrutinizing the details in it, because this actually reminds me of a letter that I received a few weeks ago. And this is kind of, you know, before the COVID-19 started coming down, received a letter from some business that, that suggested that, you know, I, I need to renew my statement of information for the state of California. And I'm, you know, I guess I'm blessed and thankful that I do my taxes, my own taxes. So I'm familiar with this stuff. 
And so when I got this information, I actually, it was my wife that opened the letter and she looked at it. She goes, oh, we have to, you know, pay this fee here and, and update our statement of information. I'm like, oh yeah, it's nothing. It's 80 bucks, right? Well, I was looking at the letter and it's, it didn't say 80 bucks. It said $300. And I'm like, what? Everything on here looks official that it's, it looks like this came from the board of equalization from the state of California. This looks official until you got to the very bottom border the footer of that letter where it said that we are not affiliated with the state of California blah 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 and I'm like oh all right thank god I read all the way down to the bottom because if I didn't I'd be issuing a check to some business that I know nothing about yeah I mean and it's it's crucial I mean credit fraud identity theft we're all victims already Uh, and so it's about understanding how do you minimize your risk and then how do you recognize when someone's trying to take advantage of you and then if you find your victim, what do you do to help restore your identity and protect it going forward? Uh, and that's, you know, you, you think about my life at Experian, we've become increasingly better at being partners with people in that process. Uh, you know, in, in two decades ago when I started, people didn't really know who we were. Um, you know, there was we experienced history prior to becoming experienced. We were TRW and Mm -hmm. that was the euphemism for a credit report. Did you get your TRW? And I spent about five or six years just trying to get people to understand they like did something. They they sold us because they wanted to focus on something less controversial, like building bombs and missiles and get rid of the credit reporting people. So, so we became Experian and then getting people to understand we are Experian uh, and what we do was a big piece of that puzzle. Now it's really rewarding because I can say, I work for Experian, people know who that is and they know how to con- connect with us. They know where to get you know, their credit history. They understand basically what scores are and how it works. Uh, so people are much more empowered today than they were then. Well, that's, that's, that's a good sign. And I guess I'm, I'm thankful that you as an insider of this information uh, is relaying that because certainly knowing where the future of the economy, uh, economy will be, if more people are educated about their credit and their credit scores and how all that stuff works, then I think it just leads to a stronger, healthier economy for all. Yes, absolutely. And I, you know, I think, you know, when you look at credit reporting, we are not a huge business in terms of the number of employees we have uh, or even the revenues that we generate. We're not small by any sense, but we're not huge. Um, like I said, we employ still about 7,000 people in the U.S. Uh, and globally, our, our revenues are somewhere over $5 billion, but not, not huge numbers when you look at other businesses. Mm-hmm. But in terms of impact on people's lives, we are enormous. And that's what we recognize. And the people I work with at Experian understand that just about any financial decision, the data that we collect, the information we provide can impact that decision in that person's life. And we take that extraordinarily seriously. Uh, And and I think that's the realization that if we can work with people uh, I don't like to talk about consumers. I like because that's consumers are things. Mm-hmm. I work with people and we affect people's lives. And that's what we want to do. We want our information to facilitate economic transactions, not be a barrier to them. And that's everything to do with people being educated and knowledgeable. And so, you know, that's another one of those things that I'm proud of is that our company recognizes we can educate people. We make them more successful. And that's good for our business. Uh, and, I, you know, I think that's a, a, an important realization. Well, and this is the educator coming out in you now, yeah. which kudos to you, right? I mean, so there's one thing you had mentioned that I wanted to maybe have you illustrate this better for me. You had mentioned the idea of, of risk management, or I think it was minimizing risk, right? And, yeah. and, and I must say that in my older years now, the concept of risk management is taken way more seriously and, and to the point where it is definitely a model in my head as I go into any kind of decision now. You know, what's, what's the risk of doing X? 
and then you weigh it all out, right? And it's, you know, I've learned from, I'm not an engineer, I, I studied economics, but I, you know, I learned from engineers the, the concept of first design principles. So that tells you that, you know, when you are looking at, if you're going to be designing some product, for instance, that you want to discern what are the absolute truths in what you're doing. So if we were to look at a Venn diagram of risk management, consumer credit management, and personal finance management, you know, what, what is the center point that connects all of those three? Yeah, I mean, um, experience. I mean, you know, when you think about it, <laughs> it's so... Boom. <laughs> you know, you think about the circles and where do we connect? How do we manage, how does a lender manage risk? Well, they're trying to determine that a person at the most fundamental, when we're talking about credit, will they repay a loan as agreed? We're trying to help lenders determine that. Uh, and consumers want to know that they'll be able to qualify for a loan or uh, financial services that they need. And we are the, you know, the, the, at, right at the center of that Venn diagram. It's where the circles intersect. And so, again, coming throughout, and that's the reality. That's, we touch so many people's lives because whether you're applying for a loan, uh, for a mortgage, you're trying to get a personal loan, want to buy a car, but even things like renting an apartment, um, qualifying for utility service or getting setting deposit rates for utility service, getting insurance, any financial transaction could involve a credit report from Experian and credit scores that are reflective of that information. So it's, it comes through us uh, and we are exceptionally sensitive to that and we, we understand that. And so, you know, as a consumer, understanding the information we have, which we will provide at no cost and, and make sure people have that information can help them navigate those financial waters, if you will, yeah. to get where they need to go. Lenders come back through us because they want to connect to customers that meet their risk criteria that they know they can make loans to with relatively low risk uh, and can have a profitable, successful relationship, which then results in lower costs for all of us because if lenders are managing losses effectively and consumers are accessing more financial services at better rates and paying those debts, they can pass along those savings to us that, that, that they would otherwise have to cover in losses. So in the end, it's, it's that circle of All right. Financial. All right. I'll, I'll, yeah. You tied it all back in actually very substantively. So good. I, I'll, I'll, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I do think, though, this speaks to a larger point of education, though. And I know that you are a big, big proponent of educating individuals and families about personal finance. Um, maybe, I, I guess, I also wonder, too, why the education, education system in general has not been such a big proponent of, of personal finance management? And that's a great question. And, and you know, I think that's, uh, and when somebody says that, it's because they don't have a good answer, right? So it's, I don't know why, uh, because it's so core as a life skill mm. uh, to what we do. Um, you know, I've seen state legislators, as an example of my home state, um, that they passed legislation, which in, so I'm from Kansas originally, um, Texas now, but from Kansas originally, love my own state, but they passed legislation requiring that every high school student complete CPR training before they graduate, in order to graduate, which makes sense. It's a farming state, largely agricultural, very dangerous, having people who can perform CPR and be training, that makes a ton of sense. So supportive of that. At the same time, they voted down legislation to require financial education in the schools a few years ago. Um, but yet, if you would have asked, how many of you have a credit card in your wallet? 
every single one of them would have said, here it is. And if you said, how does that work? Uh, and asked them any sort of detailed questions, they likely couldn't have answered those questions. Right. So, you know, I think it, it's crucial and it's why Experian is invested in personal finance and financial education, financial literacy, financial health, um, you know, the terms have changed over the years. But we were a founding member of the Jumpstart Coalition for Financial Literacy that's now going into its 20th, 25th year. Uh, and so, uh, and there's, you know, a program that they're, they're operating now um, that's called Check Your School to that very point. Find out if your school. What is it Check Your School? Checkyourschool.org. And it's about finding out if your school requires financial education. Um, you know, I hear arguments to that, well, it doesn't work because if you test a student, they remember it, but in 10 years, they may not. Well, by that argument, you should probably close most of our schools because I had to take trigonometry and I can't could do that now. Right, exactly. You know, I have no exactly. use for it. But if you're using it and you have the foundation, when it comes time to buy that mortgage, I've seen people talk to people like, oh yeah, I had this class. I know I'm supposed to look something up and now I need to figure out what it is. So it triggers and then they, they will remember. So it's a lifelong learning process. We work with, through social media with consumers, with adults. Uh, we work with retirement age folks. We train our own employees to be able to go out into their communities through a program we call our Education Ambassadors to talk to people, whether it's groups or it's just family and friends. Uh, and if you work with data people, uh, you know, a lot of them love to spend time by themselves typing on computers. And if you say, I want you to talk to a group of two, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to do that. Uh, so, you know, our, so we don't require them to go talk. Most of the people experience don't deal with credit reports every day. But we try to train our people so that if they get a question from a friend, from at, at a soccer game with their kids on Saturday afternoon, wherever they might be, they can answer it and give people the information they need. And we, I think that's crucial. I think it's essential. Yes, it, it's all essential. And, and I must say that this is going to be a bit probably sensitive subject to talk about, but I'm going to, I will speak on it. And Rod, you don't have to if you don't want to. But, you know, I, I, I was reviewing some comments on this Facebook group where as a result of COVID-19 and the effects it's having on the economy, that people are losing their jobs and it's, it's tragic. Again, I was once there. And now with the pending legislation that will bail out industries and stimulate the economy by issuing checks, you know, there's a part of me that, well, not even a, a part, there's a, there's, there's a good portion of me that in principle does not agree with a lot of these bailouts that are being proposed. Because as I was mentioning in this Facebook group, is that as you start to bail out industries and, and individuals, you know, we are already in a debt-driven economy. And so as we continue to prop up our economy through debt, you don't have the ability to actually save money and then apply that savings to products and services that you would want. And I think a large part of that is because there is a lack of knowledge of how, you know, at the most basic level, personal finance, and then as you graduate more into uh, you know, just economic policy. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, what I always tell people is kind of, I think, to some extent, to your point, you know, credit is a financial tool. Debt is the financial problem. And if we can help people understand how to use credit as a financial tool, they'll be more financially successful and financially mm -hmm. healthy. Mm-hmm throughout their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you talk about and think about how businesses use credit. You know, if they're, they're making a capital expenditure, they may get a loan to cover that capital cost so that they can invest, you know, their cash. Exactly right. And, and would look at the stock market right now, but <laughs> generally, you know, generate earnings that are greater than the interest they're paying. So they, they make money with their money and use credit as, as a tool to help them be successful, people can do the same thing. You know, if you use credit and you get cash back, you get uh, airline miles, you get points to 
purchases, lower you know discount purchases, whatever it might be, but you're paying that debt in full each month and you're taking advantage of that those incentives, credit's the tool. Debt, when you get too much, is the financial problem. And that's what we want to help people understand. Well, so along these lines too then, um, I know that Experian did a state of credit report and this is uh, this was done more in 2019. Obviously, we haven't finished 2020. I'd be actually very curious to uh, f- find this report when you do publish it to see what the differences are. But, uh, and listeners, I will put a link of this uh, report on the episode page. But maybe at a, let's maybe start at a high level. What can you share with us with regards to the 2019 experience state of credit? Yeah, so um, what we saw year over year was a, a two-point increase in credit scores. And we looked at Vantage Score, uh, who is one of the large uh, credit scoring companies. So, uh, and it's 3.0. Uh, so one of the most common scores on the market. And there's the average score in the U.S. was 682, which is two points higher than last than 2018. Uh, so that's a good thing. You know, it, it, when you see a two-point increase, sort of a slow, steady climb is a good thing. Uh, we saw it scores increase over the course of the recession as we came out of it. The largest increase year over year was about six points, hmm. uh, and that's really that's huge. But it's over the last few years, it's sort of stabilized with one or two points, which means people are still doing the right things. They're still making good decisions. They're managing their credit well on the whole. Uh, so you know, that's good. Uh, we're still seeing a consistent pattern in terms of uh, dispersion of scores, in terms of where they're highest in the country, where they're lowest. Uh, if you are in the Midwest, uh, for some reason, you manage your scores very well, and they tend to have the highest scores in the country. If you live in the South, not so much. Uh, the South scores in the South across populations tend to be significantly lower. Um, now the question I was get is why? And the answer is, don't know exactly. There's no one cause. Uh, it, and it could be that it's cultural uh, and for one, one thing. It could be education levels. It could be... Uh, job opportunity, it could be salary levels, or and I think it's probably a combination yeah, of those yeah, right. things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I always kind of, kind of tongue in cheek said that you know scores in like Minneapolis would be higher because it's too cold in the winter time to go shopping, so you're not taking on debt. Except the internet changed all that, so <laughs> don't know now. That was my best guess. Well, I, I would still think that 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 could apply. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's just like it's just like going through these COVID nineteen times, right? We're all kind of shelter in place, quarantine. It gives us the ability to hopefully be online and be more aware of our credit and make sure that we pay our credit cards so that our credit scores are reflected better. Whereas if you do have the sun out all the time, then yeah, what's the use of staying inside? Yeah, <laughs> this is true. Yeah. yeah, it's sunny here for the first time in two weeks. I'm ready to be outside. Yeah, I hear you on that. Well, so I, I think one of the things, though, then, if we look at the the state of credit report, and then, again, if we fast forward, not even just to today, but maybe even like three months from now kind of thing, uh, certainly the credit utilization will be much higher. Your credit utilization rate is the amount of revolving credit that you are currently using divided by the total amount of revolving credit you have available. For example, if you have a total of $10,000 in credit available on two credit cards and a balance of $5,000 on one, your credit utilization is 50%. The higher the percentage, the more this may negatively impact your credit score. There, because of job losses, credit scores could be lower. I thought one of the things that may be most helpful to listeners who may be experiencing this is how to work with your lender. And I know that you have some insights on this with regards to what happens if you are in the situation and then how to work with your lender. So can you share with us best practices on how to do this? Yeah, sure. And I think you're right. You know, and I've had some questions from people about their credit balance, credit card balances increasing uh, because of job loss or, or lower incomes over the coming months. And my response is to, it kind of, it's kind of been, don't worry too much about it. I mean, you have to do what you have to do right now. 
uh, you know, I think it's important to recognize that people have priorities that are more important than their credit score. Uh, and not to be paralyzed by a number and make bad financial decisions or bad life decisions. Take care of your family. Take care of making sure that you stay healthy. Make sure that you're doing the things you need to do to have a roof over your head and food on the table. And clearly, most important. Um, but at the same time, think about what's happening with your credit history. Best practices, get your credit report. Uh, the sooner the better so you know what's there. Get a credit score. And you can get them free from a number of sources, from Experian, for example, or you can purchase one when you get your free report. Lots of places to get scores. Get the risk factors that go with it because they'll tell you what from your report is most affecting it now. That gives you something to act on. You know, it's, you tell people, you know, if you just know a number, it's, it's arbitrary. It doesn't help you. You have to have information to act on. Get those risk factors. From there, if you know that you're going to have challenges in the workplace, as a lot of people are now, I have two daughters who are affected, for example, whose um, you know, jobs are in limbo. Mm. Uh, and so more with a family there. But if you know that's going to happen, talk to your lenders, go to them, tell them what's happening. They have tools and resources that they can apply that can help you manage those payments. They may reduce interest rates. They may, uh, put an account in forbearance or deferment. Forbearance and deferment are two separate programs that allow you to temporarily stop making payments or make reduced payments for a set period of time. Every lender has different policies on these two programs. For example, Honda and Acura Financial allow you to defer payments for up to 60 days with no penalties assessed. So that you're, you don't have payments due until that time expires. That can help protect your credit report. In the credit reporting industry, we have a crisis response program that lets lenders report to us that an account is in forbearance or in deferment as a result of a natural or declared disaster. That would become part of the credit report. Your report then wouldn't be negatively affected, uh, wouldn't show late payments, for example, for an account in forbearance or or deferment. We also have a statement that says I may be affected that can also help in that regard. And as you said, in both cases, the your credit report or your credit score will not be affected. Right. Now, I imagine, though, that there could be, because everything is happening so fast and, and at such scale, that I imagine, though, there are going to be some things that slip through the cracks, even though you did speak to your lender and they agreed, they've documented on their end that they will grant forbearance, for instance, but it doesn't reflect. And hence, because it doesn't reflect or because they still have in their system, you paying on a monthly basis and you're not doing it, it affects your credit. So then there comes the idea of disputes and resolution. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that it's not always easy to try to discuss and fight and talk and how you can get some of these things, you know, correct your credit report. Can you maybe share some best tips and practices mm -hmm. on how an individual can work with a credit bureau such as Experian to, you know, correct their, their credit yeah. score? Absolutely. And we, we have become much better at, doing that and working with, with people in that regard. Easiest way now is to simply go online to experience.com slash dispute. And slash dispute, you know, okay. very simple to do. Uh, you go there. If you have a current copy, meaning a copy within the last 60 days of your personal report, all you have to do is put in the, the report number from it and it'll pop up on the screen, secured, encrypted, all of that. If you don't have one, we'll ask you for some information. We'll give you a free report. So you'll get that report right away. And with each entry, there's a button that says, I need to dispute this. And you click that button and then follow the instructions and you can dispute it. Uh, it's never late or it's supposed to be in forbearance, I mean, whatever it might be. And then you can also upload documentation. So if you have documentation that says this account was to be in forbearance from X date to Y date, uh, you can upload that. And when we go back to the source, when you hit go, it's like a shopping cart and it's submitted, goes right to the, the source, and then they would have to come back to us. Uh, so really pretty simple now, pretty straightforward. Okay, that's good, yeah. So much easier, and we provide education information along the way too, to help make it clear what, what's happening and why. 
Um, so one of the things with Experian that I thought is, again, as I mentioned earlier, that I that I found to be more entertaining than educational is, and listeners, you have to check this out. And again, I'll put this on the episode page, but check it out yourself. Go to, go to Twitter and use the hashtag, hashtag credit chat. As a matter of fact, I want to just show you here why I kind of find it entertaining. So, I when I when I first heard about the Twitter feed and or when I first visited Experience Twitter accounts, this question here was the first one that came up, and I just thought this is relevant in times like now, right? Because yeah, you could be living with a roommate who can't pay rent because of whatever reason. And I thought that there was just a lot of, there were just a lot of comical answers here, but there's no doubt that listeners, if you get a chance, visit credit, visit the hashtag credit chat. And there's lots of good things that Experian is doing. Uh, I don't know if, I mean, it seems like you guys are doing this every Wednesday. Is that correct? Yeah. For the last eight years, uh, we've had our, our credit, yeah, so long time we've had credit chat, and every Wednesday, uh, 2 o'clock Central, 3 Eastern, and we try to talk about relevant subjects, and we have guests who, who share information, who are experts in financial and personal finance that aren't our area of expertise as well, and it's meant to be conversational, it's meant to be fun, but also an opportunity to learn, and so we share information we don't just lecture. I mean, I tell people, you know, I've been in the corporate world for more than two decades. I can do death by PowerPoint as well as anyone else. In the <laughs> we don't want to do that. So it's about engaging with people. Death by power. I've never heard that before. I'm using yeah. that. Death by oh, power. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can be, it's, yeah. I could bore you to tears with PowerPoint. Uh. Never answer any questions you have. And that's the point and part of what we're doing with, with Credit Chat. We do the same thing. I have a live Periscope and have for the last four years, maybe a little longer, um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 1.30 Central, 2.30 Eastern, and I just have 30 minutes of answering questions from people. Oh, I love that. You're going to have to send me that so I can, again, uh, post that for, for people to, uh, to to consult with you. That's that's awesome. Yeah, we'll get that for you. And, uh, you know, and, and we're becoming more aggressive now with what's happening in engaging people. We have an eight-part series on Credit Chat. So each week for the next eight weeks, we're going to talk about issues around COVID-19 and how it's affecting people's lives. Not just credit, but things like how do you work from home effectively? How do you keep your business going if you're working remotely? You know, things like that. Uh, I'm going to do a live a Facebook Live series as well on Fridays that is open Q&A uh, in addition to Periscope. So, Can I participate? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to have you there. Just don't ask questions that are too hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way yeah. I know how to function, Rob. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so, well, I guess one, I, I do have a last question for you, but uh, you, you've certainly conveyed that there is hope at the end of this time. And I can echo that because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember that 2008 financial crisis and I went through, I went through it and it was a pretty hard time for me, but I've certainly have made some sacrifices and I've made a lot of good decisions over the last seven, eight years, nine years to which my credit is gold now, you know? And so it's, it's, it's taken a long time and there's a part of me, you know, I'm not trying to blame my parents here, but my parents were not as, uh, educated about credit because they were immigrants coming into this country. So they didn't understand it as well. So that I didn't understand it as well growing up. So listeners, you do need to educate yourself, seek out people like Rod and Rod, I guess this kind of bodes the last question to you. And that is with your two daughters then that are going through these uncertain times and going through COVID-19, I'm sure they don't probably remember as much as the, or they probably don't remember the financial crisis as much, but they're going to remember this time as much. How do you as a parent help educate your kids and hopefully the listeners that do have kids themselves that are of age that they need to start learning about credit management and personal finance, personal finance management, they could take something away from you. Yeah, I mean, it's, kids are funny, <laughs> so, um, and my, my life is interesting, and, and so I have three stepdaughters, they're grown, I have seven grandkids and a great-granddaughter, so, um, but they're older, and just as an anecdote, my oldest daughter, 
came home and she works at a dentist's office. And she said, I was talking to my doctor, to, my dentist today about my credit report. And I went, really? <laughs> it's like, me, I'm you know, here. So kids are funny that way. Uh, but, um, you know, it's hard sometimes as a parent to talk to them. Yeah. Those kinds of things. But we talk a lot about you know, how do things work. And you know, I tell parents, talk to your kids early. Um, like you, my parents were not the greatest source of information. You know, my mom thought credit was a gift from God. My dad thought it was a product of the devil. That was just, and it's really somewhere in between. Yeah. And you had when, religious folks, huh? Yeah. Well, when it came to credit, <laughs> so it was, yeah. So that was my upbringing. And I'm like, well, I've learned it somewhere in between. So we talk about, you know, from an early age, I think when you have a child of 17, 18, maybe add them as an authorized user to an account. If you can't open an account just for that purpose, it's a safe way to help them build credit. It's a great way to learn if you let them use that card and go with them when they do and let them make a purchase, explain what that is and how it works. Sit down with them at the end of the month with the billing statement and walk through it and explain to them, teach them that it's not free money, that you have to pay it back. Show them how it works. Um, you know, and I think having that constant conversation is important. When we plan for vacations, we included our kids. So where do you want to go? What are, you know, what are we going to do? Well, let's talk about how we save and when we're going to take this vacation, because it's going to be maybe one or two or three or four years out. Uh, and as a, especially if they're, you know, young teens, they can understand that and talk to them. Uh, I with, had granddaughters. We were driving back from somewhere one night and we went by a, an ice cream place and they said, oh, can we stop for ice cream? And I just said, do you have any money? And they went, no. I said, well, we need to save up. And every time they were with me, they would find coins in the back seat, <laughs> which I kept losing back there. <laughs> and when they had enough to save, we went and got an ice cream. So there are lots of ways you can talk to your family at all ages about saving, about credit, about how it works, about finance, but make it a conversation. You know, I always, you know, it, too often it becomes an argument. Uh, and if you're talking about it early and often, it's less likely to do mm. that. That's been my experience. And so, yeah. And, you know, just to echo the sentiment of another guest on the show, who I recall actually echoing the same sentiment about talking with your kids and, and explaining to them, you know, if, if you are going to be buying a car, if you're going to be going on a vacation, you have to break down where where is the money coming from? Let's discuss the sources of money, how it works and paying back a loan. So a shout out to Chuck Schofield of Auto Gravity for, for dropping that knowledge way back when. Um, well, Rod, anything else to add with us? Well, check us out on Credit Chat. Join us. We'd love to have all of your listeners there and sharing information because it's about having a dialogue Check your credit report. I'll say that over and over. I've said that every day for 23 years, I think. But know what's there. Empower yourself. And you know, I think that's crucial. Uh, as we go through what we're going through now, um, you know, I think it's important for all of us to understand it's new to everyone. And we're all working together to figure it out. Things are going to change daily. And so, you know, as we talk today, I'm sure things will be different tomorrow and next week. Mm-hmm. But we'll all get there together. And so we have to work together to do that. Um, and, and I think that's what's so important. Uh, so take care of each other, stay well, and stay safe, and um, keep learning. Amen to that. Keep learning. Hashtag keep learning. Hashtag credit check. Hashtag credit shaming. Hashtag death by PowerPoint presentation. Listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode of Wisco Weekly. Again, be sure you visit the episode page and I'll put all the different information that Rod was talking about as we end every episode. Cheers, prost, lachaim, kipis, nastravi, salu, kampai, mabruk, tutsin, gambe, yamas, nastrovie, vo, and salute to the quarantine experience. Wisco Weekly listeners, thank you for tuning in with us to another hopefully great episode. Dennis and I are always grateful to have you along for our journey. Speaking of our journey, we've had the last few years, we've seen a lot of evolution with our show and in the industry. Uh, Recently, we've been able to attend a couple inspirational events. One of those was Women in Automotive, where we met a lot of 
uh, people who have inspired us to continue revolutionizing this mobility movement and solutions. We are especially grateful for two of our partners, Automotive Mastermind and Commotion Miami, for coming along with us on this journey. If you are enjoying our show, please subscribe to our email list at wiscoweeklypod.com. We want to continue to bring you great content and can give you those updates if you subscribe to the email list. Please go to wiscoweeklypod.com. We look forward to connecting again soon.